podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. Uh, I'm here today with Adam Johnson. We're going to do sort of an all-D-League episode with a a few overlaps with the Hawks uh, and their situation with the D-League this season. We're here with Adam Johnson, who is the co-founder of Two Ways, Ten Days uh, with Adam Riker, and that is the best I want to say D-League so hard. How many, we should keep a count of how many times I say D-League today. That is the best G-League site on the internet. Uh, welcome, Listen, Adam. I'm, I'm not going to – yeah, I'm not going to baby you. Thanks, Scott. I'm not going to baby you on the, the G-League thing. I mean, Gatorade's not paying us, so, um, you know, have at it. You know, <laughs> you're, you're on your own. I probably on a, I'm on a bit of a tighter leash, so I've got to keep my G-League in check. Uh, yeah. But, hey, like I said, Gatorade paid for it, but uh, they're not paying us, so – all right, yeah, but they get picky about credentials and stuff. If you go out and keep saying D League, they're gonna something. tap you on the Some shoulder and do. say, da, 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 da. "No, no, no." I get a, I get a, <laughs> yeah, I'll get a certainly worded uh, email at some point. I'm sure exactly. if I were to go down that road. So that's that's why I'm on a tighter leash, like I said. <laughs> well, I've been wanting to do a a, a D League podcast here for a while, but one of the things that prompted me to reach out to you is that you wrote a story about Malik Rose, who has stepped in as. Uh, general manager for the Erie Bayhawks, which is now the Hawks G League affiliate. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you uh, what you wrote about and your interview with him. Well, uh, you know, I, this is going on my, this will be my fifth season covering the G League, and so I've kind of, I've seen this trend where we've had more former players get into the roles of, of front office positions. And it's, it's very exciting to see, you know, you know, when I started three or four years ago, or four years ago, excuse me, um, this wasn't a trend at all. It, it, I don't think it existed. Um, you saw just the same old people in the front office um, that were curated. You didn't see former players taking the sleep. But then again, just four, four years ago, there was only 17 teams in the league. Now we're up to 26. Um, and in talking to the NBA and conversations that I've had, there's this real push to get former players into these roles and what a tribute about Malik Rose is he's a former player um, you know he has a master's in sports management from Drexel University his, his alum or okay. his alumni he's an alumnus I guess is the correct word okay. um, and I, I just wanted to you know see what you know not only former players but African Americans who may not have had these opportunities as well so I had a, a nice a discussion with him about that and you know the general stereotypes that you know come with being just a former player it's just interesting just as you know we only see them as players. We don't see them in their day-to-day lives and what they go about and, you know, what those conversations are with, with GMs or trainers um, and what they're trying to do on the next stage of their career, so to speak. We only see them on the court. And so it, it's always exciting to me to see, you know, former players break that mold and then that stereotype that they are just former players. They only know how to dribble a basketball. Um, they, you know, they, they certainly don't know the – you know the machinations of the CBA or what a you know a contract is or things like that, and it's just fascinating to talk to Malik Rose and break that down and just see you now how insightful he is about his position um, in the G League and with the Erie Bayhawks certainly. Excellent. So yeah, so he's uh, he's helming the ship for Erie, and this is the first year that the Hawks have had a, a G League affiliate. So just generally speaking. You know, what do you think the benefits to the Hawks will be now that they actually have their own affiliate? Well, I mean, it goes without saying they have full control over what their players that they assign get to do. And they can have, you know, they can really build from the ground up, not just players, though, but they can, you know, instruct like Malik Rose, the direct beneficiary of this, 
um, and getting his feet wet as well. So it, it goes not just players, but you have assistant coaches, uh, front office staff, um, even on the marketing side of teams. You know, they, they, there's um, you know uh, a laboratory side of the G League, so to speak, where teams can kind of experiment with what works on a marketing side, perhaps as well. Uh, but but back to the players, you know, a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. just a few years ago was bopping around against a few teams in Canton Charge, and I think maybe the Austin Spurs, same thing with Edie Tavares, um, was with Canton Charge. I think Austin, and then maybe Bakersfield at one point as well. Um, and you know, you're sort of limited on what you can do. Um, a good example, that's a better example, would be outside of the Hawks organization, be Bruno Caboclo, who, when he came on the scene, the, the Raptors didn't have a, a G League affiliate, and he was sent to Fort Wayne and Med barely played at all, if not maybe five, ten minutes a game, if that. And, you know, the Raptors were at the point of, what, you know, why, why, why are we doing this to ourselves? Um, so they really expedited the process to get their own G League affiliate. So Atlanta then, with their new rookie picks, you know, can assign them at will. You know, they can they have direct um, – they, they have direct influence over their team as well. So, they you know, if they want to run a set play, they can, they can you know, work on, you know, post moves for their players or, if, you know, they want to see how a guy works in transition – um, they can really strengthen and round out their players the way they see fit and get them really on a on a micro scale, so to speak, as opposed to the macro, the big picture of the NBA. You know, and, and you can really identify um, how a player is working. And, uh, and it really goes without saying, you know, with the, as more teams join the G League fold, the level of competition only improves. Yeah, I mean, it's the the Hawks have been a strong advocate for using the D-League. They just didn't really have their own affiliate. And they've put together kind of a crazy roster. If I, if I project based on, you know, who has guaranteed contracts and things like that, you know, if you project the Hawks to have, you know, the most likely 15-man roster, you know, two of the players will be rookies, Tyler Dorsey and John Collins. So that leaves 13 other players. Of those 13 other players, 11 have been to the D-League. Um, right. So have you seen a roster like that that has had that much D League experience? Um, I think you know, I think it goes back to, you know, Golden State. You know, San Antonio certainly is one that has tons of D League experience. They almost it's almost a uh, initiation right for their players to have gone to the D League first, um, and then play on their uh, you know, NBA squad on a regular basis. San Antonio's notorious for it. Um, just look at Jonathan Simmons and where he came from, so to speak. Um, right. But, I mean, you kind of look at, you know, the Hawks roster with um, Dwayne Dedman. You know, he's a former uh, Warriors guy, and this is all Travis Schlenk, obviously. Exactly. Yeah, I was um, going to interject Kent, that. Right. You know, Kent Bazemore as well. That's another Schlenk guy, but that was obviously before Schlenk got there. So, um, you know, that, 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 that there's a great influence there. And, you know, the Warriors, uh, being from Santa Cruz myself, and it's my home base, I've seen it, you know, firsthand what they can do as an organization. So I think Schlenk is – Prime, given you know the way Santa Cruz used their affiliate, he'll know at least guiding uh, Malik Rose in that respect. Um, you know how, how to properly run the uh, the G League team, excuse me. Uh, while I'm certainly le- uh, you know allowing Malik to let his you know spread his wings and get his feet wet as well. So, but it'll be a great you know guide, so to speak, for uh, for Rose Inchlink. Yeah, it's it's interesting that. Um... That you know, Schlenk, a lot of his responsibility in uh, in Golden State dealt with the D League side of things. You know, the Santa Cruz Warriors and scouting different D League teams and things like that. And uh, 
before that, he was a coach. He was actually an assistant coach before he moved into the front office. And when he was an assistant coach, right. he coached Marco Bellinelli, who's like the one guy on the Hawks roster that doesn't really have, uh, you know, he didn't have any G League experience, even though, you know, he could have theoretically been there. The other guy on the Hawks roster who's never been to the G League is um, Malcolm Delaney, but that's kind of a weird exception anyways because he played for so long in Europe before coming over. Sure. So um, so the, the Erie Bayhawks, they used to be the affiliate of Orlando, and the Hawks announced that they right. were going to acquire uh, a G League affiliate. So, you know, can you explain to us a little bit about how sort of this musical chairs affiliation worked out that sort of you know, Orlando moved a G League team closer to their home and the Hawks stepped in and sped up their timeline. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, pretty much. So the so the Orlando Magic, uh, so way back when. So originally the New York Knicks were the affiliate of the Erie Bayhawks, I think, as their latest, the 2013-14 season. Um, and then, you know, New York decided to open up shop in Westchester and have their own affiliate. And then okay. at that point, you know, Bayhawks were left without a team. Um, obviously, as, as the league has emerged, there's been fewer options as far as getting your own affiliate. Um, so instead of investing directly in the affiliate themselves immediately, you know, you have a team like the Orlando Magic who said, okay, we'll agree to this with the Erie Bayhawks. They had a, what's known as a hybrid affiliate or a hybrid relationship where the NBA team controls the basketball side while the private ownership controls the ticket sales and marketing and things like that. Okay. Um, eventually, after their three-year agreement was up, the Bayhawks or the Orlando Magic decided we're going to purchase the Bayhawks and move them to Lakeland, Florida, which left Erie without a team. And I think the Bayhawks have been around for 10 years, so I think this is more of a goodwill, good faith sort of move by the NBA and the G League, rather, to you know help you know Bayhawks give them two more years with a G League team okay. um, and provide that space. You know, it's, it's a pre-existing space. Um, it's a known market. It's a known entity. Um, that that you know that can succeed. So rather than trying to search for a new place, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So the Hawks, could, the Atlanta Hawks, rather could you know open up shop in Erie while they wait for their new place to open in College Park. So I think that that works very well for that rest in that respect. Um, so that's where we are today, and I believe it's a they'll be in Erie for two years, and then I think with the 2019-20 season when the team will officially move once again. Um, and move to College Park, and that's where they will reside at that point. Um, is it unfortunate for Erie? Absolutely. You know, no one wants to lose a team. But I think, you know, in this sort of preparation, this sort of transition makes it a little bit easier, so to speak, rather than be blindsided by a move completely. So, But, I, you know, I applaud the G League for, for using Erie. Um, you know, it's an existing space, like I said, and giving them the opportunity to at least, you know, hold on to a team for another two seasons. So that's why Erie is now – an expansion team, even though they existed just this previous season. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I remember the the original press conference. They kept saying, "Yeah, we're going to open in 1920. We're going to open in 1920." And the way they said it like that, it sounded like the year 1920. It kept throwing me for two or three seconds every time they said. Right. It. But that's right. Yeah, they were supposed to open two years from now, and and instead they're going to the Erie's going to bump them up two years. Well, you mentioned the expansion draft, and that's something I'm I'm really interested in because I know that traditionally expansion drafts, I think, don't yield a ton of players to the actual roster. And at the same time, I think the Hawks 
drafted a bunch of familiar names, uh, players like Will Bynum, Jordan Crawford, Teron Petaway, who was in camp uh, with the Hawks a couple of seasons ago. But those players aren't necessarily going to be on Erie, right? What, what are some of the circumstances there, and, and who are some players you think might end up being on the actual roster from that expansion draft? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a total crapshoot right now. So, I mean, the way the the expansion draft works is each team, the existing or existing teams could protect up to nine players, existing player rights, at which point anyone that wasn't protected, uh, you know, was fair game. So a total of 44 players were taken in this last expansion draft, 11 by each team. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a balance between whether you want a player that's going to be immediately available for you or if you want a valuable asset for a potential trade. So, for example, you have guys like Sean Kilpatrick and Jordan Crawford, um, both in the NBA currently, who were not protected for reasons perhaps because they don't, you know, their existing teams did not foresee them joining the G League anytime soon. They're established NBA stars at this point. Um, that again, Jordan Crawford was just in the G League just last season with, with the Grand Rapids Drive. Um, things can happen very quickly, very fluidly. So in the case of Kilpatrick or Crawford, if there is an NBA move to be done and they do happen to get waived from their deal, you know, the G League is going to be the place that they can quickly come to and get back on the team and, and show NBA scouts what they can do in, in the interim. Um, but then you have guys like Ronald Roberts, Taron Petaway, and Casey Prather all have signed overseas uh, in Australia and France, respectively. Um, Raphael Putney is, is, you know, I'm I'm a big uh, Putney proponent, uh, but he's in France as well. He's a six foot ten, six eleven, stretch uh, th- stretch four, I guess. <laughs> um, but he, he's long, he's athletic, he can shoot from the outside as well. Um, Luke Herengotti, who's in, Ger- in Germany right now, excuse me. Um, I don't foresee him returning to the G League anytime soon. Um, but, again, it's all about developing assets and trades that might lead to, you know, existing players um, coming back. Um, or if you know you have a player in mind and they're on a, you know, a different team, this allows teams to, you know, create, you know, trades and have assets to do that as well. And these are all conversations, not just the Bayhawks or the Hawks are having right now with agents. Um all the G League teams should be, or all the, you know, all, yeah, most of the G League teams are doing that now, but rather the expansion teams, you know, going into the expansion draft should have an idea. Okay, we've we've conversed with this agent. Um, if we get them to camp, would they would they come play for us, perhaps? Um, but those are sort of conversations that should have either happened before the draft or just immediately after. So they they should have an idea, hopefully, of players that would join them. Um, I like Jordan Siebert and I like Bo Beach as well. Those are guys that you know will probably sign with them. Um, they are currently free agents, so uh, who's to say? Um, but it, it's interesting. I mean, this, like I said, the G League season is very fluid. You have to have NBA training camp first, at which point all those wave players uh, then kind of create the the G League rosters as they stand. Um, it's it's very quick. It's very quick um, from the, the the G League draft is set for October 21st tip off for the season is november 3rd so you're talking about wow. like 10 days or so That's right amazing. from when you have camp you got to cut players and you tip off so these guys have to come together in a very quick span now in some cases with with the hawks you have josh majette there and a, a potential you know training camp invites who have been together collectively for a month or so um before they get officially waived and, and sent to the g league via assignment or affiliate player right. um tyler cavanaugh seems like a strong candidate for that sorry well, no, no, right. I mean, exactly. You got you, you kind of figured out who has the exhibit 10, who doesn't. 
Um, that's kind of a, like a red flag, so to speak, for you know a G League assignment or affiliation. Right. Um, so I mean, they they have those bonds that have been sort of established and, and building a relationship for a roster. But I mean, it comes by really quickly. So you know, I think tip off for the NBA season. I think this year is October 17th. Um, all those players that are waived have to clear waivers. Some go to the draft. Some go to their G League affiliate. And then training camp opens that Monday, which is, I think is the 23rd of October for G League teams. So like I said, you have 10 days to A, come together, come to camp, wave the players, and tip off. So it's very, very quick and fluid, and a lot can happen in a very short period of time, whether players you know that are overseas now are unhappy with their situation and want to come back while their agent finds a new deal. I mean, things happen. Um, is it possible that Kilpatrick and Crawford uh, join the Bayhawks? Highly unlikely, but you never know. I mean, like I said, those things can happen. You know, if the Nets want to make a you know, blockbuster deal in the, in the NBA season, not sure what they could do. Um, that involves, you know, with Kilpatrick being waived and no one picks him up. You know, the Bayhawks is where he would go. Same thing with Jordan Crawford, you know, with the Pelicans. You know, is there a move with Anthony Davis and, and DeMarcus Cousins? And, you know, on the on the outside looking at is Jordan Crawford, you know, maybe. Um, maybe he's waived to make room or assets or things like that. You know, he's, he's dealt in a trade and the team he's traded to, is, you know, waves him. Um, maybe then he ends up on the Bayhawks at that point, but sure. it, 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 it's hard to say. It's almost unfair to say at this point. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But you, you never know. Like I said, things are very fluid and can happen uh, in the blink of an eye. Let me ask you about two other names from that expansion draft. The, their very first pick, they took DeAndre Daniels from the Raptors 905, and then with their very last pick, they, put, they picked Will Bynum, who played in the D-League, I think, last year, and he was really close, I thought, to actually making the Hawks roster out of camp last year. The Hawks ended up, you know, they, they, they signed Jarrett Jack, who never was healthy in camp, and Bynum played really well, and in the end, the Hawks just kept two point guards instead of three. So if they had kept a third point guard, you know, that that could have been Bynum. I, you know, he was kind of close, I thought. Yeah, like I said, it all depends on, you know, the needs for a team and, and things like that. So but, I mean, Sorry. Do they have foreign commitments sorry. or anything like that, though? Uh, Will Bynum, at this what I'm looking at, I don't believe does, and neither does um, DeAndre Daniels. I'm not okay. sure if that's been updated or not, but I, it doesn't look like they do. Okay. Um, Will Bynum, like I said, just played last season with the, um, excuse me, with the Windy City Bulls and their expansion team. So he's a, a, you know, familiar with the expansion uh, you know, a team, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Um, so, but like I said, it's a combination of, you know, veteran leadership um, and these young guys as well. So he'd be a good guy to, to have around as well. DeAndre Daniels, um, his his Raptors career was rather limited. You know, uh, didn't do much in the G League. You know, he averaged 13 minutes a game in the 2015-16 season. That's another player who was a part of an expansion team as well. Um, but he had a, a little bit of an impact, not too much. Um, but I would I would suspect maybe he. You never, like I said, you never know with these things. It's hard to speculate on where a guy's going to be. Um, I don't know if there's a demand, like I said, for a 34-year-old Will Bynum overseas. <laughs> Maybe he's content right. playing in the G League. I don't know if that's the case. Um, but like I said, um, these conversations typically are had with agents um, and, and the team and the organization in advance of, of the expansion draft um, to see where, where a guy sits and where they feel comfortable uh, going, if, if their name is drawn. Excellent. So... In in a matter of days, uh, a few weeks back, the Hawks signed two players to contracts who were effectively, I think, the 
first and second team all D League point guards. They picked uh, <laughs> they picked up Quinn Cook. They signed him mm-hmm. to to a deal, and they signed Josh Majette as one of their two way players. So let's start first with Cook, who's has a you know a fairly uh, well credentialed D League career uh, in the couple of seasons he played there. Let's see here. You know, looking up his stats, you know, last season he played 39 games. He averaged 26 points a game and 6.7 assists, and he shot 37% from three. So, you know, what do you see in his game that goes beyond the stats, and how much of that do you think he can translate, you know, making the jump to the NBA? Ooh, um, it's, it's very hard in some cases to kind of, a player make that leap that's not to say that i don't see quinn cook being able to make it um but he's a very ball dominant offensive player which i'm always questioning at the g at the nba level because you know a lot of times when you're playing on that second or third string you're not always going to have the ball in your hand Uh, but he was a great facilitator he was effectively their leader on offense so he has that leadership quality that you want out of a point guard um and he's not afraid to attack the basket uh, he's, you know, I think if you look at his shot chart, majority of his buckets come within, I think, and the layups. Um, so he, I mean, he's he's got tangibles, he's got speed, he's got athleticism. Uh, I think most importantly, he's got a chip on his shoulder, though. He spent, you know, a good portion of two seasons in the G League. Um, I think finally getting a call up with the Dallas Mavericks last year. Um, I think maybe the Pelicans as well. If I'm yeah, not I think mistaken. it was the Pelicans. Yeah. So I'm, right. So I think he, you know, he's finally seen that he can compete at that level. And sometimes that's really all guys need is seeing, hey, I can do this. You know, it's, it's, it sort of validates what I can do, and then and that propels them to, to greater things. One of the things he does that he's great on the floor about communicating with his teammates, um, like I said, he's not afraid to attack the basket as well. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be said with what, the way he played in Canton. They typically played a, a low-tempo offensive style, but he wasn't afraid to, you know, you know, push the tempo as well at the same time. So very physical not afraid to grind it out, um, and he's gonna, you know, he's more offensive oriented than he is on the defensive side. Okay, you mentioned him being ball dominant, and that normally I'm one of those people who's afraid of, you know, having too many ball dominant players together. But the Hawks this season, they don't have that many. Right. <laughs> they have Dennis Schroeder, right. and it's like, oh, please stay healthy, Dennis Schroeder, because if you get hurt. <laughs> There really isn't, right. you know, somebody to break down the defense. They just don't have a lot of those players. They have a lot of shooters. Like, you know, they're going to play Muscala, and they're going to play, you know, Dwayne Dedman, and they're going to play Ilyasova. And these are guys, you know, who can do things on an NBA court, but none of them are, you know, anywhere near somebody who you'd want trying to break down a defense. And they have some very young players uh, like DeAndre Bembry and, and Torian Prince who might be able to do a little of that, but they're not really ready for for any kind of big load in that regard. And so I think we're going to see a ton of shooter with the ball this season, uh, you know, just trying to do things in space if they can space the court for him. So, you know, Cook might be a good insurance policy <laughs> if if anything right. should happen to Schroeder. You know, exactly what you'd want out of a third point guard is, you know, somebody who's ready to kind of play the style of your first point guard should should that person get hurt. So you yeah, mentioned I, the I defensive – oh, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, it's fine. You know, I was just going to generally ask about his defense because that's one of the things that, you know, that you really need eyes for. And I can't claim to have seen that many of uh, Quinn Cook's games in the D-League last season. Yeah, 
I mean, it's, it's adequate, I suppose. Um, but I think, he, like I said, his strength leads to the offensive side of the game. That's where you're going to see him shine. Struggles a bit on defense, a little bit under, a little bit undersized. But that, I mean, that goes without saying with a lot of guys in the G League. But um, it, it depends upon the matchups. You know, who's he who's he playing against? You know, who who's he switching on? Those sorts of things. Um, I think he can hold his own, um, but I don't think you're going to want to rely on him for you know, any more than, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game, so to speak, if, if even that, um, sure. to be to be that defensive ball hawk. That's, you know, not a segue, but that's where Josh Majette comes in. <laughs> that's that's They really, these two guys um, really complement each other. Josh Majette um, being the defensive sort of player, and not to try to take over your podcast here, but, no. um, you know, Quinn Cook is that offensive juggernaut. Josh Majette, you know, is a facilitator and, you know, a, a force on defense. He takes pride in his defense as well. Um, he's going to play full court defense, pressure you. Majette's the guy that is, you know, you hate because he's not on your team, but you love him when he's on your team, so to speak. He's a very <laughs> talking around people around the league. He's a very, very, very polarizing player. Either you love him or you hate him. Um, and I, I, you know, I I respect his game a lot, but there's, you know, there's there's a lot of people who are antagonized uh, by him and the way he plays the game as well. Um, but, you know, it's landed him a two-way contract, so you can't be mad at him for that. Um, but, you know, he's, a, he's like I said, he's a great facilitator. I think a lot of it comes with being, just, you know, unassuming, you know, a, you know, a six – he's listed at six one. I don't think he's six one on, the, on this website here. Um, but, you know, a, an unassuming white point guard, whether that means anything or not, um, kind of taken for granted as well in some cases. But, he, you know, he knows his strengths. He plays to them. And, like I said, he's not afraid to distribute the ball as well. Yeah, he's – is uh, he's led the D, the uh, D I said D again. He's led the G League in assists <laughs> the last two seasons. Is that right? Uh, he's been up there. He's I know he's there. been. He's, yeah, he's he's led it or he's been very close. But yeah, exactly. He's he's come along with uh, instead uh, leading the uh, the G League and as far as the, excuse me, the defenders who are now the South Bay Lakers uh, in assists. Yeah, so he he knows how to facilitate. And he's he's a great story coming. I think like a D. I think it's D. To Al, uh, Alabama Huntsville, yeah, um, small no-name college, and he's kind of made a name for himself in the G League, and that's you know, and now he's on an NBA roster. Do people forget that he's almost twenty-eight just because he's got like a baby face? I think they do. I almost <laughs> have to remind myself. At the same time <laughs> you think, oh, here's this, you know, what can he learn? You know, you th- he looks like he looks like a twenty-three-year-old who looks like a nineteen-year-old, but really he's twenty-eight. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I know. He's, he's, he's great at what he does, um, and his teammates love him. Uh, when you when you talk to guys like Vander Blue, who was this last year's MVP, he he weighed a lot of his success on you know the selflessness of Josh Majette and what he does for the team. So that that goes without saying. Majette, you know, is, is complimented very well by his peers on his own, on his own team and the way he he plays on the court. It, it lends you know a lot of credibility to what he does. Excellent. Well, I guess the last thing I would ask you about is uh, tomorrow. We're recording on a Saturday. Um, uh-huh. Tomorrow morning, the Erie Bayhawks are coming to Atlanta. And by Bayhawks, I mean their staff. They're coming to Atlanta to hold an open workout at Georgia State, uh, a tryout, so to speak. Uh, All right. How often does that yield a player who makes the roster? What are, If there have been some, what are some of the success stories for, for players that have been found that way i mean it's very it's it's not uncommon you see maybe a player or two who will make the the training camp roster um 
it's it's less or likely you'll see a player that succeeds. I mean, when you think about these tryouts, oftentimes you might have 100, 200 players in a single tryout event, and then you're just trying to pluck one from that. Um, most recently, I think you know, the well-known one is Jonathan Simmons, you know, who paid $150 to try out with the Spurs, and look where he's at now. Um, other than that, most recently, um, David Waba, who I believe tried out with the Reno Bighorns and subsequently was traded to the defenders, now the Lakers, um, in a preseason trade. Um, so he's another one who's now, you know, he called up by the Lakers and he's now with the Bulls. Um, Dwight Bikes, who actually is, I think, one of only two players in league history to make the NBA from the national tryout. Um, oh, wow. He's one as well. I mean, he's, I think he's, he just signed a two-way. I want to say I'm not even sure with right now. It's with the Detroit Pistons. Um, so he's one as well. Um, him and, uh, like I said, only two players have made the NBA from the national tryout. They call it player invitational this year. They rebranded it, I guess, because tryout is a, you know, a salty word. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> the other one would be Dennis Horner, for those that want to know a, you know, random pub trivia information. Wow. Uh, use, useless trivia info. Um, he played, I think he got called up by the Nets. Um, that's the other one there. So, uh, I, I mean, that, those are, you know, the tryout thing, it's, it's, I always flip back and forth on it because um, I feel like it's, it's, you know, it's exploitation in some cases. You know, these guys, they're starting on a dream of making a team um, and that, you know, these teams charge money for these guys to come out and play um, and they're making money off their backs. At the same time, though, um, you know, if, if their money is free, free will, <laughs> you know, um, who am I to say that, you know, players shouldn't try out? Um, far be it for me to tell someone not to follow their dream if they really believe in themselves either. So, Exactly. Um, I'd, I'd rather not go down there. Like I said, I, I said I flip flop on it. Like every two or three months, you know, I say, yeah, I I hate, I rather hate that they got rid of the tryouts. I'd rather the league just did done did with them because realistically, before they were more of like a gimmick. You know, they were, you know, it was when the league didn't have all the NBA teams involved. It's more like, come on down and see what you got to make the NBA. And right, you know, that was when the the, the league lacked credibility. It was more like a sideshow, like a gimmick. Um, but now with the NBA teams, they almost don't need this. You know, they, they, they have credibility. They've established it. They don't need a, a tryout process. But then, you know, we wouldn't have Jonathan Simmons. We wouldn't have David Wamba. We wouldn't have these guys who make the NBA from literally out of nowhere. So, I mean, like I said, I, I, I jump, you know, I go back and forth. They shouldn't do this. And I've had, you know, front office people tell me that, you know, they wish the, the tryouts did go away, um, so to speak, that that didn't exist. Um, but at the same time, I do respect that it is a place where you can find some credible talent, and you don't know unless you try, and you don't know unless you go through the process. So far be it for me to tell someone not to do that. So I, I, I tend to lean that way, so to speak. But as long as you know people are kind of realistic and know if they even have a chance or not. But I guess like again, you don't know if you try. And I'm just I'm speaking in circles at this point. So. No, that's fine. I mean, I'm 45 years old and bald and doughy and. I, I was very close to just forking over the hundred and fifty dollars just just to be able to say that I went. <laughs> right. <laughs> what the I heck, think, right? Yeah, as as just for the entertainment are, value. I think it's, yeah. Right. And I think as long as your expectations are realistic, like I'm just getting a work out of this, I don't expect to make the team. Um, that's fine. But you know, uh funny story, at you know, one of the first uh tryouts I ever attended for the Tanaker's Warriors was up at the uh at their facility in Oakland. Um, they so what they did was they had 90 players they had uh, they had two sessions they had a first cut and they whittled down 90 to I think about 30 players or so maybe maybe less um, 
and they had someone there who, you know, did not hear their name called, took off their practice jersey, slammed it on the ground, stormed out, and uh, went into the hallway there and uh, demanded a refund because they, you know, they thought it was a uh, it was bogus that they didn't get their name called, and eventually uh, <laughs> the police had to get involved and escort this person off of the premises of the uh, Warriors practice facility. So that's a fun one. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So one last question. You know, we talked sure. about Josh Majet. Uh, each of mm-hmm. these NBA teams has two roster spots for two-way players. Yes. The Hawks have used one on Majet, and as far as I think I or anybody else knows, the other one is still open. Um, mm-hmm. I think roughly 45 or so of these deals have been signed so far, and I would just ask you, you know, where do you think Majet ranks in that hierarchy, and who do you think are some of the best two-way signings so far? Well, some of the ones I like, um, it's like I said, it's hard to say like player rankings until you see them on the court, so to sure. speak. Um, so it'd be unfair for me to say he's top 10 and put that label on him, or top 20, <laughs> or I would say possibly top, I mean, top, top or bottom half of my glass half full, or glass half empty, I don't know. Um, I really, I'm just, I am a fan for Lorenzo Brown. I love Lorenzo Brown in every way, shape, and possible. And who um, signed him? He signed with the Raptors. Okay. Uh, the the Raptors signed him. He's on a two-way deal with the 905. Mm-hmm. Um, big physical point guard, athletic, strong, um, just embodies what I'd like to see out of a point guard as well. Uh, Vince Hunter is one for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, he played two seasons ago uh, with the Reno Bighorns. Very physical player. A little bit undersized at 6'8", though. Um, but as the league gets smaller and smaller, um, you know, with stretch positions and whatnot, he could benefit from that. But he has literally no outside shot. Um, he lives in the paint. He feasts in the paint. He does all those things. Uh, another one I like is uh, Matt Costello for the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, was okay. injured for a bit last year with the Iowa Energy. Um, didn't really get a fair shake. Uh, but he's, you know, a double-double machine. He does yeah, he very well. Off. He came, I think, out of Michigan. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that the, the people that follow the Hawks know him from from training camp in summer league last season. Okay, yeah, he's he's phenomenal. Um, like I said, double-double machine, uh, very physical. Um, like I said, struggled with injuries last year, couldn't stay healthy on the court, um, but he's definitely worthy of a two-way deal as well. Um, I'm uh, the, the ones that I'm always curious about um, are the players that kind of been waived and can't stick. As I say, Lorenzo Brown, I love him. But like Adrian Payne with the Magic is, is sort of questionable. C.J. Wilcox is another one. Seems to always seem to get a, a shake in the NBA as well. Um, those are ones I kind of pivot on, so to speak, and kind of scratch my head a bit. Um, but I guess, you know, it's reclamation projects. These are non-guaranteed deals at the same time. Right. So it doesn't hurt if you feel like you're going to be the team that can really turn this player around and find, you know, you know their worth and their value. I mean, that's that's the beauty of these things is that, like I said, they're, they're non-guaranteed. I guess that's great for the team, not the player. Um, but these are, this gives them roster flexibility to see what these guys can do that otherwise would not have. I mean, this is literally uh, 60 new roster spots in the NBA, which is you know tremendous for these guys that otherwise would not have had a chance to compete. Um, Alex Poitras is another one with the Indian Pacers. He played last year with the Fort Wayne Manants. He got called up late last season with the Philadelphia 76ers. He's one that I'm, I'm really big on, too. I think he could have been a potential rookie of the year. Wow in the G League last season. Um, he's one to watch out for as well. Um, those are sort of my... Oh, and I can't forget Jack Cooley. Uh, Jack Cooley is... Oh, the, no. Come you know, on. The summer League. 
Right. I know, right? I almost <laughs> forgot about him. Um, Jack, who is phenomenal. Uh, he act- we actually had him on our podcast as well. Um, we talk about overseas and then playing in the M- in the G League and then things like that. Um, he's phenomenal as well. I think he's going to do well. He wants to- he holds the G League record for most rebounds in a game at 29. Um, and he's he's gone on record saying he's going to break that. So, wow. Uh, and I believe him. So, yeah. So And I believe him. So I'm really looking forward to see what he can do as well. And if you don't know the name Jack Cooley, you should know it. He, yeah, he's just young, young Luke Herringody. <laughs> right. He's, he's amazing. He's tremendous. Um, just there's, I don't know. I tried to ask him what it was, you know, that makes him special. You know, what, why is there energy in the building? And you think it's just, it's just his work ethic. He knows how hard he works on the floor. Just something about him that you know you just want to embrace, and and I, I think it just comes down, like I said, his his you know effortlessness on the court and the way he plays the game that really you know draws people to him, so to speak. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to share your knowledge with us. I know that you are uh, one of the top experts in the world, and to have you on was a, a great privilege. And I'm looking forward to. Uh, heading down to Georgia State tomorrow to see this tryout. Well, uh, thanks for having me on, and best of luck to you and uh, the podcast moving forward, and best of luck to the Hawks and the, uh, and the Bayhawks as well. It's a successful season. Excellent. Thank you very much, man. All right. Take care. Okay, so the day after we spoke to Adam about the D-League, we went to <laughs> the, the, the G-League tryout, and spoke to Malik Rose about the process. So we'll just close the podcast with some audio of Malik explaining the situation uh, in Erie. How many people did you have? (laughs) More than I anticipated, uh, which is a good thing. I think we were up at around 95. We wanted to cap it at 80. but uh, We had a lot of guys, uh, you know, we had a rush the last week, and then a lot of guys walked up. you know, I tried to accommodate as many as possible, but we did have to cut it. I think we cut it at like 90, 92, but it was a good turnout. Um, there's ex- you know, a ton, ton of excitement about this, and I'm really excited about that. Were these all players that just kind of picked themselves, or were there some players that you gave a nudge to and said, hey, you should come to this tryout? Uh, well, actually, I got nudged to say these guys would be good for tryouts. But there were some guys that I had my eye on. Some of them were already committed to other teams uh, with different you know, level contracts or whatever, but... Uh, we got a lot of guys here. Some of the guys I used to scout, uh, you know, some guys from Florida State, some guys from Butler, so some high-level programs, uh, you know, with some talented kids here that I'm, I'm gonna, I'm looking forward to just evaluating. But uh, you know, we got some walk-ups and you know, guys that let's just say their chances of making the team are very, very slim. But I was really pleased with the uh, the uh, amount of guys we've got and the level of player we got. Is this the only one? And how did you pick Atlanta at this? Yeah, so the league, um, the G League, they, they allow you to have, since we're an, our affiliates out of market, we get to have a tryout in each city. So we, if we wanted one, we could have one in Erie, and we have one here in Atlanta. Collectively, as a group, we decided Atlanta may be the best place just because it's, uh, you know, we have more guys to pull from. There's more people here than there are in Erie. But, uh, yeah, we, we uh, decided that it was going to be here, and it turned, looks like it's going to be a, a good decision because, like I said, we've got a lot of guys, and... The thing I'm really excited about is the, the caliber of guy we, guys we got for an open tryout. What was Erie's roster is in Lakeland or Orlando yeah. now? So you're making a roster from scratch. Yes. You had your expansion draft already? Mm-hmm. How does that work? I mean, is that one of those things where 
you know, not a lot of the guys that were on that draft sheet actually play on your team this year, but you have their rights right. for whatever may happen. Yeah, so all the, our guys that were in Erie last year, they're in Lakeland now with the Lakeland Magic. We're an expansion team, and the way the expansion draft worked was the, the each team, there were 22 teams, there are 26 now, but there were four expansion teams, we're one of them. So each of the 22 teams that were in the league last year got to protect uh, 11 guys on their roster, no, nine guys on their roster, and they left 11 unprotected. So from that pool of 220 some odd, we got to pick uh, nine players. Each expansion team got to pick nine players. So that's how we got our rights held guys. Uh, we were lucky because we got two or three guys that actually are going to show up in Erie and be on, the, you know, be in tryouts and, and try to be on the team that way. Most of the times when you have an expansion draft, you're just drafting rights of guys, like you said, that are going to be overseas. So um, we got like six or six guys that were overseas and two or three that are going to be here in market with us. Um, and that's how we started our team. We'll continue to build our team with uh, the, the regular draft. The G League draft will be October 21st. And then we can build our draft from local tryouts where we designate guys that we want to come try out with us in Erie via what we saw in the uh, local tryout. Can you name the two or three that you think will be on the roster, or is it too early uh, for that? Is yeah, it's kind of too early, really but one of the okay. guys that I'm, I'm looking at, um, Jaquez Smith, played at Florida State, okay. uh, 6'9", athletic kid, uh, scouted him. But, you know, Florida State has a ton of talent, so when we were down there scouting all the guys at Florida State, you know, you say, hey, you know, who's that guy? I remember him, and, you know, his agent called and said, he's, he's, in, like, he's from Atlanta, like mm -hmm. just outside of Atlanta, said he's in town, can he try out? I said, great, and... We're looking at it. You mentioned the October 21 draft a minute ago. I know that makes sense because it's after the NBA's camp yeah. cuts, mm -hmm. but it gives you like 10 days to put together a roster before it's on the floor. Right, right. What do you do in advance to get ready for that? You hire a good coach. <laughs> a good coaching staff. Uh, Josh Longstaff, we're really, really excited about here in Atlanta. Uh, I followed him for years. He has a really good, um, let's just say he comes from good stock. I respect a lot of, you know, a handful of teams, especially in the NBA and Oklahoma State, Oklahoma City is one of them. It's just, you know, they do things in a first-class manner. I know Sam Presti from our days back in San Antonio, and I know what he's building there. Um, so when Josh became available, and even though he was in New York, I know he came from Oklahoma City. He was a guy that stood out for me. Uh, you just hire a good staff that loves to teach. That's what the G League is primarily about, teaching and getting better. And that's what our Erie Bayhawks are going to be about. Uh, you know, Erie is Atlanta, the Atlanta Hawks training ground for everything. So we send guys to Erie, we send players to Erie to get better in hopes of making it to the NBA. We send coaches to Erie in hopes of getting better and making it to the NBA. Front office personnel like myself, training staff, PR staff. All those guys that go to area, they're going to be trained in the Atlanta Hawks way of doing things, and it's going to make them better, stronger, and more prepared for when they get to the NBA. And that's one of the things I'm going to be most proud of, the amount of call-ups, so to say, not just players, but front office guys, trainers, PR, front, um, coaches, everything. Assuming that uh, John Collins and Tyler Dorsey make it to Erie at some point this season, almost the whole Hawks roster has been in the D-League. It's like everybody but Bellinelli and Delaney who played overseas for such a long time. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to have a roster where like, it's just overwhelmingly guys with D-League experience? Well, I hope it means, and it better means, guys know how to work hard because that's what we're going to do in Erie. I want everyone to know that. I want other coaches to know it. I want other agents to know it. When you say Erie, the name, the city Erie, the Erie Bayhawks, what's going to be synonymous with that is hard work, 
development professionalism. So all the guys that are on the Hawks that have G League experience, I'm sure it's, that's instilled in them. And it's my job, along with our coaching staff, to instill that in all the guys that pass through Erie from this point on. Have you been keeping up with some of the other former NBA players uh, now in the G League, like Jerry Stackhouse? Yeah, all the former players, you know, I, I root for those guys. You know, some of the guys I, you know, playfully root against, like Stack is one of my guys. We, you know, talked trash when we were on the court together, and he didn't have a big win. Actually dominated the league last year. So on one of his few losses, I'd call him up and, you know, what happened tonight, Coach? You know, so just mess with him a little bit. But, no, nah, I mean, I, I root for all the coaches in the G League just because I'm such a fan of the league and, you know, where it's going, where it's come from, where it's going. But I'm just closer to some of the guys that I have relationships with, like former players. Uh, I root, root for all root for all the coaches in the league and all the organizations except the nights we play them. But, uh, you know, like I said, Stack and some of the other guys, I'm just a little bit closer to. All Thank right. You. I appreciate your time, Thank you, sir. guys. Uh, we'll see you in there.